Hello, this is an extra special episode recorded live at the Newcastle Improv Festival. So it's much more of a chat show format, interviewing some of the stars of the festival about improv instead of our usual nerdy chat. The sound quality isn't as great as our usual episodes, but we had an awesome time doing it and we hope you enjoy as much as we did. Please, would you welcome Nerdfest? <laughs> having the time of your life and laughs <laughs> <laughs> of recognition from the audience recalling John and um, performing time of your life from Dirty Dancing on the very stage on which we are stood uh, this past Tuesday night I believe John you were your inner Swayze I was uh, me and my friend Casey performed a beautiful rendition I thought in many ways it surpassed the original uh, I've had the time of my life. My favourite part was um, when we did the lift, and we, we, we had a stunt lift, which was a, an inflatable sex doll, which I brought from Dad's home. Um, but my favourite bit wasn't lift, it was Rachel, who is teching tonight, uh, performed earlier, panicking, thinking I was actually going to lift a 15-stone bar, and just running onto the stage and pulling the microphone stands and the cables out of the way, with a look of absolute terror on her face. Um, apart from that, John, what else has been your favourite? Oh, Dragpov. Yes. Dragpov was absolutely amazing. Were, were people all here for the Dragpov? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, so this was two people performing improv in drag, which I thought, to be honest, might have been a bit of a gimmick. I wasn't entirely sure what I was going to see before I got here, but it was just so, so good. Absolutely brilliant performers. Um, and I can't wait to see them again next year. Absolutely. Peter? One thing I really enjoyed was bringing improvisers in from other regions. So it was great to see both Dragpov and uh, Couch who has travelled you know, travelled a distance to get here and show us something we haven't seen before, which is good. Yeah. Really enjoyed that. Absolutely. Well, I think it's time to talk to the festival organisers and really find out more about 
uh, the background of the festival and the wonderful community that they have uh, developed and nurtured. So let's bring Bev up onto the stage. <laughs> Where did the idea for the Newcastle Improv Festival come about? Where did it come about, Ian? Uh, I think we might be drunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we actually always wanted to do something special like this because uh, you know, we, we moved back to Newcastle, was it 2002? Yeah. 2002, after 16 years in London, uh, and fell in love with improv there. And we wanted to come back and do some special improv here, so we spent ages and ages building uh, workshops in the community, and, uh, and that worked pretty well. And we always thought to ourselves, Newcastle is one of the best cities, I think. It's, actually one of the best cities probably in the world um, and we thought we should do something very special here and I think it was in was it November when was it last year November? it was last year I think it was I think we were here really and just thought this place I think Alphabetty was a big inspiration because we'd start doing shows here 18 months ago and we all know what it's like in Newcastle finding venues to perform in. We've been at the brilliant Cumberland Arms obviously for 15 years we've been performing at the stand but this space the art scene here, the fact that it's close to where we do our workshops and stuff, it just sort of felt like it really emerged, the thing was actually tingling and happening. And I think it was probably chatting with Ali outside where we went, we had this idea vaguely and his eyes lit up and it was like, oh. And so about a year ago, I think, we started to go, we're gonna do this. And obviously it's not over yet, it's still got a few days, but what's been your highlight so far? Uh, I would say Drag Prop as well. Drag Prop were and Pippa. brilliant, and Pippa was fantastic Pippa well. on Sunday. Pippa Evans, star of Showstoppers, the Olivia Wilde award-winning musical. And accompanying podcast, the Showstopper podcast. Yes, yeah. uh, she was fantastic. Well, uh, what I loved about Pippa, um, because I've known her for years and years and years, but we've never performed together, Ian's performed with her before, but uh, she just felt like one of the gang straight away and what was lovely also about Pippa and Dragprov was they both were just so excited to be here uh both groups like we went out drinking with their Dragprov and it was Pippa's birthday when she was here and they were just so excited about the scene they loved the audience they said we had something really special they just couldn't they absolutely adored Glitter Curtain Cabaret afterwards weren't they brilliant hosts of it you know they they just were relentless those guys they just kept going on for hours and hours and afterwards it was like we want to live in Newcastle, and they heard about the Geek Cafe and the Mog, Mog of the Time and all those places. And so I, I, I loved having both of those yeah, here. Yeah, that was great. Also, another highlight for me was uh, uh, was Rat Race the other yeah. night. We do a, uh, we, we run workshops here in Newcastle called School of Improv, and we've had uh, some amazing people who have been with us for years, and some new people. And we do a sort of regular show, I think it's once every month or so. Uh, where these people in the workshop get up and have a chance to have a go on live on stage. And it's a, kind of like a, a mock tournament between two teams of improvisers. And they battle it out, get points and things like that. And, uh, and Wednesday's show, I just, uh, I, I was so proud of everyone. I thought everyone really stood up to the play. And um, um, it, was, uh, it was beyond my expectations. I thought it was brilliant. So Peter and Hazel were both in the that list? Sorry? Peter and Hazel both yes. were. They were, yeah. They were okay. What did they do better? What did they do? Who was the best? It was Peter's first. It's always nice with Rat Race to have. It's always nice with Rat Race to have at least one new person a show. 
you know, to, to just to just bring new people through. So you have a few people who have done it several times before and feel very comfortable with the format of the show to make the new people feel safe and stuff like that. So it was nice to have a, to have one of our oldest friends do it for the for the first time. That's I know, I know he was breaking it, <laughs> absolutely breaking yeah. it. So uh, kind of speaking of oldest, because obviously we've known each other for I think it's about forty years. Or no, so. we haven't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how that couldn't be no. possible, could it? Not impossible. Yeah. Um, so, would you like to tell people who don't know, how did you two first meet? Uh, we... <laughs> prison. prison. Uh, I, uh, I, uh, I, we were in a play called The Greeks and the Trojans at the People's Youth Theatre, and we, were, we had to have togas. Uh, he was in a different play to me, uh, and my, uh, I got my, uh, he didn't have a toga. So I asked my gran uh, to make him a toga, <laughs> and she made him a toga out of one of my pillowcases. <laughs> and I remember dressing him in this toga, and uh, and I had to put red patrol <laughs> on my friend's garland. Garland, red. It was there was quite a big pillowcase. You know, one of the sort um, of what they call the um, you know the ones with the sort of edge. No, it wasn't. It was <laughs> special chest. But we were teenagers. <laughs> we were teenagers. That was quite small. Teenagers don't want to wear many clothes, so our, all of our togas were tiny. Like we were all in these sexy little togas. But also, I had to be. He bled to death. As I can't remember the yeah, character. I, I, was, I was polymester. polymester. And I had my eyes plucked out from yeah. the, the the tragedy. And you had to put um, petroleum jelly and yeah. various goop on my eyes, so I could go, oh, my eyes, my eyes, my eyes. And I remember sitting. We were down at the bottom of the stage, and there's this young, beautiful woman putting tenderly putting petroleum jelly in my eyes, and. Uh, Got slightly aroused. <laughs> 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 I was slightly aroused. 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 I was slightly what do you think makes the suggestibles work? Alcohol. <laughs> Tabs. Uh, mm, it's it's uh, I don't know. What would you say, guys? I would say I would say there's a mischievousness. Yeah. Also, the, the uh, lots of lots of us fulfil different roles. Oh, yeah, so we just put Carl Kelly up on stage. Hello. How are you doing? All right. Yeah. Carl, Thanks, tell me what, what makes suggestibles suggestibles. I think it's. The, we are a team in, in so many senses of that word it, it, that we're all we're all individuals, and each individual on stage uh, kind of brings their their element to it. So you know, you, you've got the, the different skill sets, you've got incredible voices and singers, you've got people who've been doing it for a long time and, and know how to run a show and how to keep driving that forward, and, and you've got all the different skill sets of all the different people. I think that's what for me really makes the suggestibles a proper team, uh, like any proper team that exists and is brilliant in this country. And, and everywhere else, it's it's about um, a team of people with individual skill sets that come together and, and, and make and looks. And looks. <laughs> I think that's right, though. I do think that's right. I think um, what a lot of uh, I think improv groups don't realise is that people don't come to see the improv; they come to see the team, come to see the personalities of the team, and they grow to like them and love them and, and grow with them. And they, you know, they, Tom's brilliant, and he always plays an animal. <laughs> I always get me Tom off for me. Down. <laughs> <laughs> Carl's got a beard. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. It's like it's like a Beatles thing. It's like you, or, or a pop group. You like 
you, you attach yourself to them, you like to see the personality as well. The improv is just the thing they do. Like you recognise yourself in the personalities on stage, yeah. I think, as well. Yeah. So you kind of go, oh, that's the improviser that's most like me and my way of thinking. We had tonight, this is amazing, we had a, 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 a group of six people who travelled up from Somerset oh. to see the show tonight, because they used to live in Newcastle. Oh. They saw the festival and they drove all the way up from Somerset tonight to see us and they're driving back tomorrow. Oh. To us. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, you can't say Somerset without. Somerset. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> famously brilliant accents. <laughs> Is there a particularly scene you've played together that still sticks in your mind? Maybe I'll tell you what. Years? What sticks in my mind, but can't. It's not actually. A, it, it was just the foundation of festivals. It's not actually on stage. We met at a party in a place called Dipton in, D in County Durham, I don't know, 16, 16 yeah, yeah, many years ago. We didn't know each other, um, we hadn't really seen each other at the party all night, but we found ourselves both in the kitchen in the first thing in the morning, um, cooking breakfast for people. And we introduced ourselves, and before we knew it, we were just being Swedish chefs, <laughs> cooking bacon, making sausages. Yeah. And I just suddenly thought, I like this guy. I like him. You must do things. He's another dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> I remember recently, recently, uh, I remember being. Yeah, very... the twerk. <laughs> <laughs> recently, I remember um, uh, really. Because you've just done so many shows, it's difficult to know what sort of which ones you remember the most. So, so a recent one, I really enjoyed Carl's Grime that he did. That's brilliant. I was like, whoa, because I just, I just watched Glastonbury Festival. With what's his name? The guy. Stormzy. Stormzy. <laughs> <laughs> it is the pissed up podcast after all. And uh, I'd watched that that we got Grime the following week and he did it and I was like, Oh, that's a really good. That's a really good. So yeah, things like that stick in the mind. Tonight I enjoyed the um the new choice game with Tom. Yeah. Being the animal. You said I'm not gonna play an animal tonight. Yeah. <laughs> so the, uh, the festival's not just been shows, there have been lots of really great workshops through the week as well. Uh, I was at the Pippa Evans workshop last Sunday and it was an amazing few hours learning about connections and supporting each other. Was it always the intention to have shows and workshops running alongside? Absolutely. Totally, totally. Because uh, we know from uh, sort of our, our London days, there's some great workshop facilitators, some great workshop teachers have been doing it for a long, long time and have great skills and we wanted to, we knew what they would bring to the festival. There's loads more people we could have bought as well, but we, um, so we that's, funding. No, we didn't get any funding, so we couldn't afford loads and loads of people. But yeah, um, we, we knew that she'd do something absolutely, you know, amazing, which I know Stella will do something absolutely good because I've been part of Stella's workshops. We've After a life for many, many many years, for many, many years. We used to live together. Yeah, so so we we want to, and also the uh, I was oh god I was so annoyed that I couldn't go to the Ken Masters rap workshop and the breakdance workshop the other night because we worked a little bit with these guys um, earlier on and I, but I, I just everything clashed so I couldn't actually make it along myself but I know that Ken I spoke to Ken earlier today and he's really keen to do more. And what we wanted to do in the festival was to celebrate improvisation across the arts. Most, most, most improv festivals are sort of improv comedy, improv theatre, but we, we were really keen to look at, you know, improvisation as the basic spark for all creativity, you know, whether you're a songwriter, an artist, a writer, that moment of, of inspiration, creation is, is pure improvisation, so we wanted to bring that to the festival, didn't we? Yeah, and I think definitely with, uh, I also think improvisation when, um, when you've worked at it for a while, you really find your own expression in it. You know, I, I, 
I'm not one at all for going, oh, I want to be like that improviser or this improviser. I think everybody should be their own improviser, yeah. grow their own strengths, work on their own weaknesses. And I think that uh, you just, with, with breakdance, with rap and all of that, I think that's what, from the feedback I've been hearing about people, is that's what they were doing as well. Ken Masters was trying to bring out people's knowledge, people's own freedom, you know, people's own expression and stuff like that. So I'm a firm believer in it being good, not just, you know, as a collaborative tool to perform with, but just for you to express yourself creatively and, and sort of unlock that, I think. Um, last, we could talk to you all night, but you only gave us an hour, so it's your no, 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 no. Um, We can have a look. That's the question. If you could pick out one piece of advice for anyone who's an up and coming improviser, what would it be? Don't care. Yeah. Don't care. That's what your workshop was about today, yeah. Ian. Don't take it seriously. Yeah. It's improvised, it's going to fall over. Don't Enjoy that yourself moment. up. You know when it goes wrong in a, you know in a workshop or whatever and you go i really want to do something great tonight don't beat yourself up about it if don't you, care yeah if you yeah. want to be great at it that's the wrong attitude yeah well thank you so much Beth, for joining us good round of applause Beth now it's time for our first game so on our podcast we have something called film buff or film bluff it's where we all have three film facts, but we have made one of them up. So it's our job, and also your job, to try and find out which one is the lie. So I'm going to head over to Dan, who's got three facts for us. I do indeed. Uh, if you think you know which one of these three is the bluff, we will uh, discuss it among ourselves, and then we will open up to you, the audience, to uh, shout out which one you think is the bluff before I reveal the true answer. Uh, so... My three facts are about the nerdy film careers of the stars of Whose Line Is It Anyway? Keeping it improv. So, fact number one, Whose Line star Greg Proops has played multiple characters in Star Wars. Fact number two, Whose Line star Josie Lawrence has made a cameo in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Fact number three, Whose Line star Mike McShane plays an important role in the BAFTA-nominated Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Hang on, BAFTA, no the King of Costa was nominated for BAFTA. It was indeed memorable, I think. Uh, Alan Rickman won. Worst geography in Britain? Uh, <laughs> that's, that's not a BAFTA category, though, is it? Should be. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know, so the question for Star Wars was multiple roles, because I know Greg Proops was one of the... the pod race. The pod, one of the two heads of the pod race, wasn't it? Whose names were? I don't give a shit. It's too late. <laughs> 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 Alan Stewart. It's Bede. Bede. Yes, multiple characters. Okay. Mike and Shane, so that's Fire Tuck? No, it's Fire Tuck, yes. Which is pretty so, I think that one's true. So unless yeah. it's a trick on the band of nominated... Josie Lawrence in the MCU, I don't know. She wasn't. She does pop up in a lot of things, doesn't she? She does. So she could have been, but I don't recall her in any MCU film. Do you recall Jenny Agutter's British S.H.I.E.L.D. group in The Winter Soldier? I do. I, I recall lots of Jenny Agutter. I was a teenager <laughs> in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll not pry any further into that. And American Work in London. Walkabout. Keep so I've got off on yeah. a tangent. Jenny Abbott's a tangent. <laughs> yes. Logan's run. <laughs> Logan's run. Daddy, oh, you're my daddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't you have a tree? 
sitting in the university flat talking about Jenny Agutter's small dark triangle. For yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Dan, if you can repeat those three and the audience cheer if you think it is the bluff. Okay. But what, what have you three decided? I have no idea. Oh, no. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to go Josie Lawrence. Sure. I'm going to go Josie Lawrence. Okay. So, audience, is it fact number one, Greg Proops in Star Wars? Fact number two, Josie Lawrence in Marvel. Yeah. Uh, fact number three, Mike McShane in Prince of Thieves. They're uh, very easily influenced, Yeah, they? definitely true. You are correct, it Yay. was Josie Lawrence. She's never been in a Marvel thing. But, but yeah, Greg Proops, uh, in addition to his episode one work, has been in pretty much all of the Star Wars animated series, apart from the Ewoks one. Does that count? No, it doesn't count, no. <laughs> All right, so let's have our second interview, if we can bring up Stella. Hello, welcome to the Nerdfest podcast, Stella. Thank you. Um, first of all, let's get the gossip. How oh, do you God. know Ian and Bev, and do you have any dirt? <laughs> I um, actually took a photo during that show to send home to my wife just because Ian had some of his kit off. Because I figured she probably hadn't seen that for a little while. Um, uh, I, uh, I can't remember, but I think it was 1989. Mm. Yes. Yes. Um, I went, I, I was at a, a workshop. I was um, improvising in London from about 87, end of 87-ish. Started at the Donmar Warehouse when we used to do theatre sports there. And um, anyway, 89-ish, I went along to a workshop, and I think maybe Alan Marriott was teaching it, and uh, Beth wasn't there, but Ian was, and I thought he was quite cute. <laughs> I didn't know that! <laughs> I know you didn't know that. Um, and, uh, and I wasn't entirely decided on the whole lesbian bisexual thing. Uh, <laughs> um, and I thought he was quite cute. And, um, and he's a flirty git anyway. And, and uh, then he told me about his lovely girlfriend. Um, he didn't tell me about the pillowcase or the toga, but anyway. And then really quite soon afterwards, and I can't remember how long, but they moved in with me and Neil Ashdown, another improviser, um, and we had a foursome house. <laughs> we, I don't we, remember that night. <laughs> we, we lived together for a couple of years um, and uh, with, with our, my cat, Spooge, which became Bevanian's cat, Spooge. Spoochie on, Spoochie on the floor, 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 Spoochie on the floor. And Spoochie, Spoochie, Wonder Cat. Yes. Yeah. We, we had a very unhappy neighbour downstairs. I had a job occasionally, unlike this lot, right? <laughs> and I got up and went to work, but they basically partied mostly until three or four o'clock in the morning. Most of, I did join them sometimes, but not other nights. I was doing a sort of improvising, sort of performing gig at the Museum of the Moving Image. Um, anyway, it was, it was amazing and brilliant. So, not very gossipy for you, I'm sorry. Is this the kind of podcast where you can edit the boring bits? Because I get rid of it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Okay. Uh, you're teaching improv for writers tomorrow? I am teaching um, improv for writers. And writing for improvisers, both. How does improv lend itself to writing? How is it helpful? It's the same thing. So my 17th novel is what I'm working on now. Sometimes when I say that, people go, oh, 
only one ball telly on them. What do you mean writing? <laughs> Seven, uh, yes, so I'm a novelist. And um, I started writing novels when I was working with a company called Spontaneous Combustion. We had a company from 1987-88 doing long, long form, the young people call it now. We just called it narrative. Um, uh, with no structure. Hour long improvised plays with no structure. None of you, where's the inciting incident crap? <laughs> we just got up and improvised for an hour. And uh, what came to me out of that was that it's the same as writing. I'd written a bit for theatre and I'd written, some, I'd written a couple of solo shows. But I think they're the same thing. Writers go, oh no, I couldn't possibly improvise. I'm like, that's what you do every time you write a first draft. It's exactly the same thing. And similarly, a lot of improvisers get scared about putting what they're doing on, on the page. So tomorrow, I'll be doing a bunch of impro exercises, but also a bunch of writing exercises. And I think writing is just improvising sitting down. Normally, you can write standing up too. <laughs> and improvising is definitely writing standing up. Um, and what Ian said earlier about not caring, it applies so much to writing. It, so I think they're identical. I just think that, that people get scared about one or the other and hopefully we can, we can help people not be. Mm -hmm. yeah. And also, it's just about getting the shit out, right? <laughs> that, that is all this work is. And that's why we love it and why it's so good for us and so good for our spirits and our souls. And I don't mean that in a particularly religious way, I just mean it in a humanist way. I'm waving my arms around for the purpose of the podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that there's so much inside us and we're living in such a, a difficult time that when we come together and we share stuff and we make stuff up, you know, that's human beings have done that forever. It's, it, there's no culture where people don't tell each other stories. Yeah. That's all we're doing. Yeah. And that's why we get a high from it. Yeah. Improv is laxative for the soul. <laughs> um, what do you think makes a great character both on the page and on the stage? Um, I think it's about feeling. So one of the things I'll, I'll probably talk about tomorrow is that sometimes when people are talking about writing, and quite often when they're writing a play as well, and films, let's go back to your, to your nerdery. <laughs> people go, I really want my audience to know this, right? And they talk about what they want the audience to know and understand, and that just makes shit work. You know, that's it's really terrible to try and get your audience or your reader to know something. You want them to feel something. And when a piece of work, a film or a play or a, or a, or a novel works, it's because the, the audience feels something. So in terms of characters, I think it's when something in a character sparks us and it's, oh God, of course I'd do that, or I would never do that. And we're, we've dreamed into them enough to begin to feel with them or feel really differently to them, but we're feeling part of them. Um, and something I know you're incredibly passionate about, could you talk about your Fun Palettes <laughs> campaign, please? Can we sure. talk about it? Because that doesn't take very long. <laughs> um, okay, here's the really short version. In approximately 1961, Joan Littlewood, theatre director and improviser, long before everyone else banged on about Keith, not the Keith's not brilliant, or Violet Scotland. Anyway, <laughs> theatre director and Cedric Price, the architect, came up with an idea of the Fun, fun Palace, one building to house them all, all the arts, all the sciences, everything together would be accessible and for the working class people of the East End. And of course it never happened. It was going to be an amazing building, and of course it never happened. So fast forward to 2013, when at Improbable, another 
other impro companies. In Propel's um, annual devotedness <laughs> grant, I said, why doesn't somebody do something for Joe Littlewood St. Henry in 2014? And I had a little meeting with a group of 16 people, and after 45 minutes we decided that we would say to all the venues in the world, why don't you make a fun palace? Uh, all the arts, all the sciences, including anybody, and you don't have to be an expert, or, or uh, um, you could just be an enthusiast, and you could lead your own little workshops, and the local community could do it for themselves, because after all, as we know from improvisation, everyone can, all we have to do is say yes. In the past six years, there have been 1,367 fun palaces in 15 nations, oh. led by 38,000 local people, with, with 450,000 people taking part. Yeah. Yeah. That was an accident. I didn't mean that to happen. I thought it was going to be a one-off. So when Bev said earlier, oh my God, do you mean the festival next year? Be careful, kids. <laughs> sometimes you just have a lovely idea and everyone wants to join in and then you never get to stop. <laughs> and and um, is that your biggest highlight or is there, what do you think is the biggest highlight of your career so far? Oh God, of my career? Bloody hell. Um, I keep it simple. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thinking that Ian McLaughlin was quite cute and discovering the other cute girlfriend. No, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm the youngest of seven kids. I was born in a council estate. One of the reasons that I love improv so much is the diversity of people who improvise, compared to most theatre and most publishing as well, most things to do with writing. We're a really mixed bag of people, and I mean that in the best possible way. <laughs> um, and with Improbable, I have done a show called Life Game, on and off, over 20 years. And it's a show where we interview someone live on stage, and we perform what they're telling us. And it's not forum theatre, and it's not playback, and it is often amusing and, and exciting and thrilling. But we did it off-Broadway, and that was really exciting for a girl from a council estate in a small timber town in New Zealand. Um, that's why I talk like both things. And, um, and, and we also did it at the National. And when we did it at the National, my mum wasn't long dead. And my dad's been dead for a really long time. And I went out and I had this sort of moment of going, I'm at the National and my mum and dad can't see me. And I walked out onto the, um, the South Bank. And I looked up and over St Paul's, there was not one rainbow, but a double rainbow. And, oh, I know, I know. <laughs> and, yeah, and there she is. <laughs> and, it, and I genuinely thought, what we do with this work is we reach people, and, and I don't mean we reach the dead people. <laughs> but my, so my dad, when I came out, and my dad was such a bloke, and I genuinely thought, because he was also a violent bloke, unfortunately, I genuinely thought I was going to get a backhander when I told him I was gay. And he was amazing. But when I told him, I'm the first in my family by a long shot to go to university. And when I told him I wanted to be an actor and work in theatre instead of getting a proper job, this is a man who had to leave school at 14, as did my mum, they were gutted, you know. And I wish they could have seen that because, because it's improvisation that got me to write and it's improvisation that got me to meet amazing people and it's improvisation that got me to do those amazing gigs and have a double rainbow of my mum and dad over St Paul's when I was at the National. It changed for so many of us, it's yeah. true, but it, it's also because saying yes and in the rest of our lives also changes everything. It really does. If more people could be improvisers, I think the world would be a better place. Excellent. Totally. Thank you so much for being part of the
Okay, I have three lines from films. Which of these three lines was not improvised? From Gladiator, Russell Crowe's line, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. In Taxi Driver, Robert De Niro's, you talking to me? You must be talking to me, there's nobody else here. Or in Doctor Strangelove, my Fiora, I can walk when Peter Sellers stands up in the wheelchair and then falls over. <laughs> so, so, so which is not? Which is not an improvised line. Yeah. Yeah. Did, was Stanley Kubrick much for improv? Did he like his actors to improvise or would they have had to stick to the script? Kubrick generally was not one for improv, with two exceptions. He let Peter Sellers do whatever he wanted <laughs> in Lolita and Doctor Strangelove. And the other bit that was improvised in Kubrick's work was uh, a jacket in the suicide. It's like a conference going on over there. So we um, for those not picking this up on the mic, the suggestibles and Stella have suggested that Peter Sellers would do whatever he wanted. I think that was definitely improvised. I think Sellers would definitely do what yeah. he wanted. I also think Taxi yeah. Driver is improvised. Yeah. Uh, yes, I have yeah. 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 You read the text trailer, so yeah. Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe, and I will have my vengeance in this. Wait for it, John. Ask the audience. It's far too clever for him, surely. So, if you think that the 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 line that was not improvised is, I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Applaud now. Yeah. If you think you're talking to me was not improvised, applaud now. Peter Sellers, um, my Fiora, I can walk, was not improvised. Uh, applaud now. <laughs> Almost got there. The um, bluff. You are correct. But there is a little twist here in that Russell Crowe hated that line and wanted to improvise a better line. And apparently, he spent half a day on the set doing take after take with different lines. And so Ridley Scott convinced him to say it as it was written. Russell uh, Crowe's response was, it was shit, but I'm the greatest actor in the world, and I can make even shit sound good. <laughs> <laughs> Russell Crowe, ladies and gentlemen. Is that a fact? That's what he said. <laughs> now it's time for our final interview, and I'm delighted to invite my friend and very talented improviser, Karis Gibson. <laughs> What first inspired you to get into improv? I have a friend called Amanda who had been pushing me to do improv for quite a while. Actually, she persuaded me to sign up for the beginners classes, then she dropped out, so I ended up going on my own. That was quite scary. Is she still a friend? Or? <laughs> yeah, she's still a friend, yes. Um, but I'm very grateful that she recommended it to me because it's and left a lot of creativity for me. What's been the effect on you so far? It's helped me with my confidence and certain life skills and embracing failure is quite a big one actually. Just not being afraid to 
take a chance and do something a bit different. Such as um, I did the Ken Masters rap workshop yesterday and uh, I would never have done that a year ago. Never. I absolutely loved it. At the beginning, even at the beginning of the class, I was still quite scared. And then at the end of the class, I... I was there, I saw you leap up for a chance to freestyle. <laughs> after two hours, you were ready to rap. Although that wasn't the first way she got off, was it? No, the, the first way she was, she was gently pushed on uh, onto the stage, by which I mean she was physically pushed off her chair Amanda? towards the stage. Was this Amanda again? <laughs> Lewis pushed me off my chair. <laughs> I landed with a thud on the floor and then everyone just watched and made me crawl onto the stage. <laughs> really you, safe environment improv, really supportive. <laughs> it, it, was, it was a push of encouragement. Because you, you, were, you were thinking about whether to jump up and that convinced you and the thud did land on the beach so it did work. <laughs> Yes, thank you. Thank, yeah. thank you for pushing me up there with Lewis. Thank you. Yeah. I didn't partake in the physical pushing. I'm just going <laughs> to make that clear for the podcast. Um, out of the various games you play in the improv classes, what type of game do you enjoy best? Which do you feel brings the best out of you? Oh, in workshops, I think help is a really good one just because it gets you up talking. You always know that if you run out of things to say, anyone will jump in and help you. Mm. And that's the thing about improv that you being supported by your friends, um, and you're going to support them as well. Don't you always find you want to know the end of the stories, though, for those things? Oh, God, all the time, I know, not, yes. I know we're not supposed to. We're supposed to jump in and interrupt, but you yes. want to hear the endings most of the time. I've shouted at people before for jumping up and interrupting a good story. I want to know personal details of people's lives. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, you said too much. Um, <laughs> what tends to light you up in a scene? I think it's that moment of knowing you've got a connect, you've made a connection with someone when you make that eye contact and you can see that you're on the same page. I used to try really hard to be smart or funny, but that's never, that's not feasible, it's not how it works. I think it's just about how you have that relationship and that chemistry with someone in the scene because that's the trust. It's such a vulnerable thing going up on stage and having no idea what's going to happen next and what you're going to see. So what lights me up is just just being with someone and having fun with it. Ian, why? What? What is that teaching? <laughs> what is it about teaching that you love so much? Um, well, I, you know, I don't ever really consider it teaching. I think the word teacher is probably the wrong thing for improvisation. What have you been doing to me for forty minutes? <laughs> <laughs> Has he asked you to fix a toga? Because <laughs> I don't think you can teach anyone to improvise, but what you can do is you can share what you know, you can encourage people to try out things. I think, you know, what really excites me about the word teaching is when I see people like yourself and Karis just have a, an epiphany, a moment where they go, oh, oh, now I'm, oh, right, I don't have to care. Oh, I don't have to be afraid. I, I can just play. It's just about connection and, and, and seeing the same connections that I made when I learned as well really excites me. And people just, you know, I, I, I've seen lots of people, I mean, I've seen people in the audience here as well, I've seen people transform when they first come a year ago or two years ago from being really shy or introverted or, or, or unconfident or whatever the thing is, 
something about them, to watch them suddenly flourish and blossom into a whole different person is deeply, deeply satisfying. A lot of um, the effect it's had on me is the, the inner critic that I so I used to tell myself that I was bad at everything, don't say that, you're awful. It's just a, a thing that I had, an inner voice. And I think I've learned to kind of deal with it. So how, how can people kind of deal with the, the inner critic that often comes up in our lives? You have to beat them into submission. Yeah, you have to keep on, that, that niggling voice will still come back. I mean, I, you know, I've been doing improv now for years. Uh, and it still, it's, it still turns up every now and then. He knocks my door and goes, you were rubbish, weren't you? Yeah. That was, you could have done this, you could have done that. Oh, you're failing. You've got to ignore them. Now, improvisation is ephemeral. Um, it, it's done once and it's gone. Uh, you can never master it. It's not a thing you can master. I think, it's probably, I think why people get addicted to improvisation is they think you can master it. You can't. It's never something you master, ever, ever, ever. You're always chasing that thing. You know, I, I truly believe this statement, which is 99% of improvisation is shit, and 1% is gold. And you're always chasing that 1% of gold, yeah? And it always seems so elusive, and that's why you're so addicted to it. Yeah. And uh, Karis, have you found that moment uh, where it's all clicked and the inner critic has gone quiet, and you suddenly find you know exactly what you're doing, you've made the eye contact, made the connection, have you had many moments like that so far? in your improv life? Yes, my inner critic is called Deirdre and she's, she's pretty mean. Um, um, at the beginning, when I was first doing the workshop, she was quite quite loud and I'd step up and I'd just hear her going, you shit! And that was quite, quite horrible and she's still there, but you do learn to ignore it and just trust that, that everything's impermanent and if you're scared these this is a temporary feeling and the next two minutes are going to pass so you may as well just have fun and be brave and do mad things yeah, you, you, you're in the goes that was rubbish and you go yeah it was <laughs> can i and say, say something yeah. because i think there's another voice and it's the inner mentor and mostly we don't listen to the inner mentor because we live in a culture that tells us no and we've been told no since we were three, because at three we go, that's that's a, a raging fire. And they go, yeah, but it's a pile of leaves. But that's cute of you. And when you do that at 13, they think you're mad. And when you do that at 30, they hate you. <laughs> but inside, we do have an inner mentor who can speak up to the inner critic. And I think we need to listen to them too. That's all going now. And what Stella just said there, um, made a little light click on in my own head because I remember when I was 13 at school and I was told by my English teacher that I had too much imagination. Oh. Um, and my, my inner critic has raged in my life from that moment on, except when I'm improvising on a stage and then they shut up. Where did um, you go to school? Amble. <laughs> Ever been? Fuck Amble. Yeah. <laughs> yes. What was, what was the teacher's name? I, I, I'm not revealing that on the podcast. <laughs> was it Ian? It was not Ian. No. Um, but yeah, hopefully she wasn't right. But uh, yeah, that was not an encouraging thing to hear at that point. And it took until I met Bev and Ian when they were making a film about the Olympic torch in 2012 to unlock it again and let it back out. So thank you, Bev and Ian, for that. Yeah. I like this idea of the inner mentor. I think it's a really, is a, is a, is a really nice way to reframe how you see yourself, how you think about yourself. Um, I think about, you, we, we all need to sort of 
learn to like ourselves. It's very easy to not like yourself. Mm. Yeah, you know? definitely. You can you can criticize yourself for all the things you've done, all the things you haven't done, all the things you should have done, all the things you shouldn't have said, all the things you did say which you shouldn't have said. And you can spend your whole life criticizing yourself. But sometimes you just got to go, hey, you know what? I'm all right. You know, what? I'm an all right person. And I think improvisation provides that that moment to sort of strip all of that away and just spend a moment just connecting with someone. Uh, I think it's it's a beautiful. Karis is nodding for the purposes of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you can nod a bit louder, Karis. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you have one piece of advice to anyone thinking of taking up improv, what would you tell them? Do it. Do it. What's the worst that can happen? Well, push up to Push it Push You get here. Getting pushed into a rap battle. There's, it's such a supportive community of, of people who want to see each other do well. And one thing I've loved is pushing other people. Yeah, funny you should say that. <laughs> um, just, just do it. You'll have the best time, and you'll learn a lot about yourself. Thank you, Karis. Why you guys for half an hour now? Anyway, um, so it's our final game, um, and this is a game uh, called Pitch Storm. So you're going to choose a nerd, um, give them a concept, and they are going to pitch a new movie idea to you for two minutes, whilst us as studio executive are going to offer helpful suggestions. <laughs> and then at, at right. the end of the time limit, you make the decision whether we make the movie or not. Okay. <laughs> All right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my hand over the nerd's head, and you cheer if you want them to be the movie makers. Could we nominate a suggestible to be the hand hovering over the head, sure. please? Here comes Carl Cannon, everybody. <laughs> a movie to us, the studio executives. So what is the premise for this film? What could it be about? Yeah, title, maybe. Broken Tapestry. Broken Tapestry, no. lovely. What genre of film is Broken Tapestry? Cold War Thriller. It's a Cold War Thriller yeah. called yeah. Broken Tapestry, and let's just Whoa. have a star to start Hazel off. Who's going to star in Broken Tapestry? Jason Statham. Jason Statham. <laughs> right, so Hazel will now have two minutes to pitch the Cold War Thriller Broken Tapestry, starring Jason Statham, to us, her studio execs, and we'll have notes. Two minutes on the clock. Uh, yep. Yes. <laughs> so seamless. <laughs> Two minutes on the clock. Go. Okay. Right, guys, I have got the movie idea for you. You're gonna love this. It's gonna make millions of dollars. Okay, now, what's really topical at the moment Russians. So, <laughs> let's let's take it back to when they were really actually quite good. Um, the Cold War, uh, starring the greatest action hero of all time. But we couldn't find The Rock, so we've got Jason Statham starring as 
Sven. <laughs> Sven is on a mission to find the broken tapestry. Because the fact that it's broken is going to solve the Cold War. Feel free to add in suggestions anytime, guys. <laughs> so I've heard Russia's not actually popular at the moment. Uh, we're going for the East Croydon market, so it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, East East Croydon is 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 where this movie is going to take place. So um, uh, Jason Statham is going to recruit a tag team of hackers, um, and he is going to go and and and, and hack all the computers. Oh, excuse in me, excuse yeah. me. Sorry, but this is all sounding great. But could one of the hackers maybe be a talking dog? Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. We'll call him Pluto. Mm. Pluto, the talking dog, is actually where the entire movie resides on because Pluto is going to solve the issue of the broken tapestry and bring the entire world together because that's what sells movies, world peace. And uh, how many explosions are going to be in this movie? 19. Now, we've something that explosions allow... Um, Instead of explosions, we want hoax, so instead of it being like a, a thriller, could it be a romantic comedy, perhaps? Yeah, because Jason Statham is known for his comedy chops um, <laughs> and the fact that, you know, you remember that, that, that film um, where he had to keep his adrenaline up and he just shagged someone in the street? <laughs> We're going to make him shag three people in the street. Okay? So, could one of those people be Estelle Getty from the Golden Girls? <laughs> yeah, so uh, the broken tapestry, Jason Statham and his tag team of hackers, including Pluto the dog, are going to find the broken tapestry and solve world peace. Who's with me? Yeah. Yeah. I think we should make that film. Uh, we'll give you a budget of a hundred and fifty million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Let's make a movie, guys. Disney, you have too much money. <laughs> <laughs>